Welcome back to 10 and 20, official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust, where we talk about interesting aspects of Tennessee history in roughly 20 minutes. My name's Brad. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of distilling and prohibition here in Tennessee. We went yesterday to meet with Heath Clark, who is the owner and operator of the H. Clark Distillery in Thompson Station. And when we got there, we were shown around the distillery by Kim. And she showed us their operation. They get a lot done in a, in a small area. Yeah, they're in this at least 100-year-old barn. And it's not very big, but they have their still there. They're making their mash, storing most of their whiskey to age right there on the premises. And then after Kim showed us around, we sat down right outside with Heath Clark. And he talked to us about the history of distilling and prohibition in Tennessee. And when you listen, you'll hear some of the traffic on the road and you'll hear Kim conducting another tour. You can go visit if you want to. You can go visit the Heath Clark Distillery in Thompson Station and they'll take you on a tour. They'll give you a tasting. It was a pretty neat experience. Yeah, no, I definitely suggest anyone who has a chance to go down there. So we're going to jump into our interview with Heath. We appreciate you taking a couple of minutes to come out and chat with us. Happy to. We are sitting right outside the H. Clark Distillery with... H. Clark himself. So, in as Kim was just telling us, in 2014, this became the first distillery open in Williamson County. Legal. Legal right? distillery, that's right. I guess that stipulation <laughs> is important. In a century. Yeah, over a century. You know, so Tennessee's got this sort of funny relationship with whiskey where we've, uh, we've always made a lot throughout the state's history. Uh, but we've got the dubious distinction of being the the first state to prohibition twice so we uh, the first time was by the then confederate government of tennessee had to outlaw whiskey production in order to field an army during the civil war uh and that crazy um and so by 1910 there were literally hundreds of registered distilleries in tennessee probably more unregistered ones and we went to prohibition 10 years ahead of volstead so uh, 10 years before the federal ban we outlawed whiskey production uh, and horse racing, of all things. Um, you know, one of these great years for Kentucky and less good for Tennessee. And we were dry for nearly 30 years. So whereas Prohibition nationally was about 13 years, we were. it was 1939, really, before access opened back up anywhere in the state. And so, um, you know, if you wanted to do uh, retail package stores, you had to have a uh, referendum on that question. Um, really city by city, county by county. Um, retail or restaurant spirits were the same deal in a separate referendum. And manufacturing was this third referendum, which was this huge gating issue. So the last distillery in Wimson County closed in uh, 1910. There's a white maple distillery out there off of, uh, it's actually near the Hard Bargain neighborhood in Franklin, out, out Main Street. Um, the Womack brothers operated that, that shop. And their, their last saloon, you know, they distilled out, out uh, Main Street, but they operated a bar and a saloon in what's now Mellow Mushroom in downtown Franklin. Really? That's yeah, cool. isn't that kind of cool? Um, and so it closed, and um, we stayed dry as a county, or it didn't have any production until, until 2014 when we got open, so about 104 years. And so it's, it's kind of crazy to think about that. Was um, that just distilleries, or was that all alcohol in just general? Just distilleries, yeah. Okay. So, you know, Prohibition was weird um, in lots of aspects. There were exceptions to it. 
from Sacramento wine to most rural areas, they had an exception and prohibition for apple cider. And so the, the rules around spirits and breweries were always a little different in wineries. And so part of the problem was with distilleries is that they got lumped in, you know, in sort of land use issues and zoning codes, you know, you know, like a distillery of our size got lumped into with basically a big fuel ethanol plant that Archer Daniels Midland would operate. And we're not even the same creature. And so, uh, and this happened all across Tennessee where through land use and zoning, you know, what is a rural craft is nearly impossible to, to actually practice out, out in rural areas. So, uh, you know, part of the problem at Williamson County when we started looking at this distillery and land use codes is that it would have been open easier to open a phosphate mine here than it was a distillery. That had a lot to do with not just in Williamson County but across the state, the the sort of slow uptick in in starting distilleries. So, prohibition begins in Tennessee in 1910. 1910. Wow. But I'm sure that does not mean that distilling of. Uh, oh yeah, it just closed. Actually the ceased. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. We didn't stop distilling. <laughs> Rocky Top was written in the 50s. <laughs> so, <laughs> There are really in Wimps County specifically, there are two real famous moonshine areas. One's Kingfield, which is out just west of Leaper's Fork, and uh, the other is what's called Little Texas, which is basically the eastern part of Thompson Station um, that made lots of whiskey during Prohibition and afterwards. And I have heard that there are allegedly two operations within a quarter mile of. Here, <laughs> <laughs> of where we sit right where now. Where we're sitting right now. I've not gone to look for them, but I believe the people who told me they were there. And one of the craziest things that happened to me when we're we're still building out. So this is 2012, 2013. I came into the shop, and the you know, two fellas came in to, to visit with me. Um, they just sort of stopped by. The one guy was a revenue officer, and the other guy was an old moonshiner. And so he's like, this sounds I, like a bad joke yeah. that's about to start. Oh, well, it, it felt like that, you know, that Looney Tunes cartoon, you know, where like the dog and the sheep, you know, the, wolf, the coyote and the sheepdog fight yeah. and they clock in. And so these guys just sat here and were just telling stories about one chasing the other and you know, <laughs> trying to catch. It was just, it was crazy. And uh, the Moonshiners operations were out in Little Texas. So basically Thompson Station area. Uh, and he never caught him. Um, <laughs> And so the, the stores were just crazy. It was, uh, whiskey would get sort of taken out of the, the what's uh, now is like um, Schoolhouse Hollow uh, out off Highway 31, out near uh, where Greystone Quarry is. Okay. You know, moonshine would be taken out of there in the bottom of uh, cattle trailers. Wow. And so they had a false bottom in the cattle trailer. So they'd load up moonshine and cows, and they would take off. And so the one time the revenuer got the jump on the moonshine operation, you know, just you know, maybe the grace of God, blind luck, whatever you want to call it. But the cows had stomped down the fence where all the mash tubs were and eaten all the mash uh, before uh, the, the revenuers guys pulled up. And so they had stomped and destroyed everything. Oh, that's amazing. And ate all the evidence. And so they found a few drunk cows and some stomp buckets, but, but no, uh, no, nothing illegal. <laughs> we, uh, we were doing a little bit of research last week, and we found this song called Mountain Dew. It was called the, That Good Old Mountain Dew. Yeah. And the premise of this song is you would go to a hollowed out tree uh, in the middle of a field, leave some money. A dollar. Leave a dollar, walk away, come back, and you'd find a jug of moonshine. A jug of moonshine. And the, the refrain was, 
Uh, I'll shut up my mug if you fill up my jug with that good old Mountain Dew. I like it. That's awesome. You know, Mountain Dew was uh, uh, sort of invented in Knoxville. Um, and Mountain Dew was another name for moonshine. Right? That's what so, we realized, yeah. And so uh, it was it was invented, uh, I think, in the 50s, largely as a chaser for illicit moonshine. You know, because that stuff's terrible. I don't know if you've ever had any, but... I've smelled it. I've oh, never had God it. almighty. It, it's so... You, you, there, everybody that makes moonshine will come, you know, a few of them stop in here, and I've met a few, and it's the best ever, right? Everything I've ever tasted that's illicit is awful. And so you'd mix it with Mountain Dew or something sweet to, to really mask the flavor, and, and that's just hilarious. It, you know, Tennessee, of all places, it fits. You know, we ran off all the legal operations all the tax revenue and tourism from it, but it didn't stop people from making whiskey or, or drinking it. And so, uh, you know, now we have uh, Mountain Dew as a legacy <laughs> for that. Right. So in order for something to be moonshine, is it a specific beverage or is it just the process of illicitly making uh, high-gravity spirits? You know, there's no really... So, I, uh, and I apologize for this, but I, I'm an attorney, so when somebody asks me what something is, my first thing is, well, what's the legal definition of this thing? There's no legal definition, really, of, of moonshine. It's in commonplace, it's basically untaxed alcohol. Uh, alcohol, distilled spirits that are made outside of your bonded premises without a permit. In manufacture, it's, it's closer to rum than it really is whiskey. So in, in distilled spirits, what you use to make the spirit is really what the thing is. So, for example, whiskey is any spirit made from grain. Brandy is spirits made from fruit. Tequila is made from a cactus. You know, rum is uh, spirits made from sugar, sugarcane, uh, molasses. So, moonshine is closer cousin to rum, really, than it is whiskey. So, for the most part, people would take some cracked corn and soak it in water to get it to sort of germinate. But they, the main uh, uh, fuel for the fermentation was just just refined sugar so they'd take a little corn and dump bags you know pounds of sugar in there and then that's what got distilled and so um it's a it's sort of this weird nomenclature where people say you know corn whiskey or moonshine it's really a different animal than than what we're doing here with an all-grain based product so prohibition in tennessee came to a close when 1939 okay Federal prohibition was 1920 to 1933. So we stayed dry another six years waiting on enabling statutes around alcohol. And so it was largely driven you know, by uh, Jack Daniels trying to get back open. So they really pushed hard forward. And they started distilling again in 38 or 39. I guess it's 39. But it's through that quirky three-tier referenda scheme that came out of it. And so if you ever wonder why Jack Daniels is in a dry county... That's it. You know, the, at some point in the 30s, the people of Moore County voted to allow manufacture, but they've never voted to allow access. Okay. So it's 1939, Tennessee repeals prohibition as a state, but not each county? That's correct. So it was a local option. And so, um, you know, Tennessee has 95 counties. And so there are still 14 dry counties in Tennessee today. In 2009, I worked on the legislation that got rid of the manufacturer requirement for, for wet counties, basically. Uh, at that time, we still had 24 dry counties across the state. So you think nearly 25% of the state was still dry uh, eight years ago, nine years ago. 
we have this sprinkling of wet counties and moist counties and it's just it's just kind of goofy and even today most of your rural areas your county governed parts of uh of, of the state are still dry a good example of that is coffee county where you can go to telahoma and manchester and you know buy wine and spirits at a store or a restaurant but the county itself is still dry and so you can't technically buy spirits outside the city limits of Manchester, Tullahoma. Okay. Um, and so that is very common across the state. I think there are only two or three actual wet counties where it's okay to have uh, spirit stores out in the county-operated uh, parts of uh, jurisdiction. So the legislation that you worked on was specifically for areas that allowed the sale but not the manufacturing? That's correct. So, okay. you know... I wanted to make whiskey. It was about 10 years ago. I got the bug to do this. And um, I grew up near Lynchburg, so a small farm just outside of Tullahoma. And I have two uncles that are engineers at Jack Daniels. My dad spent his career at a uh, machine shop in Tullahoma called Schmied Corporation. It's like two miles from George Dickel. It's on Cascade Hollow Road. It's crazy. So everywhere I went, people were making whiskey. It was a lot of jobs. It was, it was a lot of civic pride in that. And so when I, you know, was working as an attorney here and uh, sort of the challenge put to me was to quit talking about whiskey and go do it. My boss got tired of hearing me drone on about whiskey. And so I started looking at what do I, what does it take to make whiskey? And it was, it was illegal in all but three counties in Tennessee. So Coffee County, Moore County and Lincoln County, all in that Jack Daniels area, George Dickel area, allowed manufacture, but nowhere else. And I was like, well, this is crazy. You know, we didn't vote on Nissan coming here. They, they showed up. Everybody was happy. We had jobs. And so I had an idea that I bet the people who like to drink whiskey didn't mind if somebody made it. Right. And so in a way to respect choice, you know, we don't want to cram alcohol down people's throat who don't want it. Uh, in a way to allow greater participation and distillation in areas okay with access you know the, the bill was if you've already voted for liquor by the drink and retail package you get to skip the manufacturer referendum i.e if you're okay with drinking you're okay with making and it, it worked you know, and so and it's been fantastic for tennessee i mean you think just since we've got you know almost 40 distillers across the state last year we had nearly six and a half million visitors to tennessee distilleries four and a half billion dollars of economic impact uh thousands of jobs um, and you get a cut of all that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My kind. Con- yeah. My cut is just my bank account going back into making more whiskey. <laughs> and so it's just it's it's this part of our heritage. You know, I think in Tennessee we have three cultural cornerstones from Memphis to to you know Kingsport, which are you know music, hospitality, and whiskey. That those are the three. You think Tennessee? You think. Elvis or Dolly Parton or country music, you think barbecue, you think food, you know, warm, hot, you know, people are nice. People don't come to Nashville and buy droves because we're mean to them, right? We're, we're hospitable. And people think whiskey. Uh, if you've traveled anywhere outside of Tennessee, I can tell anybody on the planet that I grew up near Lynchburg and they'll say Jack Daniels. And so it's this heritage that we have that uh, we're proud of um, that we now get to share from Memphis to Kingsport and everywhere in between, would would spirits are as different as the people and the music that comes out of that place. And so, 
uh, I think the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, which you guys see, we've got a couple mm-hmm. tours here this, this morning. Um, you know, when we're uh, waiting inside, you know, the, the couple from Nashville, they're unusual. I mean, mm-hmm. we get a lot of people from Nashville, but not through tours. It's usually L.A. or Michigan or New York or a lot of overseas visitors. We had you know, a bunch of Australians just stop in yesterday because they know Tennessee and they know Tennessee whiskey. And so uh, with the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, we're now able to say we've got spirits and whiskeys as diverse across the state as, as our music, which is kind of cool. So from, from blues to bluegrass and from bourbon to, to vodka, we, we do it all right here in Tennessee. So how quickly after the law changed did you start H. Clark? Uh, it was about five years when we got licensed. So uh, my first attempt failed, sort of remarkably, spectacularly maybe, right as the economy nosedived in 2008, 9, 10. You know, it was a pretty tough time to, to start a business. And, you know, the idea I had, you know, I had business partners, we we're going to build this big Disneyland of distilleries, and it was just... You've heard of businesses that are too big to fail. Well, sometimes you can have one that's too big to start. <laughs> and so that was ours. And so uh, it fell apart. You know, I uh, became self-employed as a lawyer. That was fun. And so about two years after, you know, I'd gotten laid off and started my own law practice, I was talking to Becky, my wife. I was like, I've, I just I still have, I can't get over, you know, not starting this distillery. And so... Uh, during that same conversation where I'm like, you know, I, I, if I cash out my 401k, I can buy a whiskey still. You know, she looks at me and she's like, you know, if you're, if you're going to do this, put your name on it and only do things you want your name on. And so that was in 2012. And so we, we uh, leased this building from the town of Thompson Station, started renovating it, took a couple years. And so we just funded the renovations and operations out of uh, our, you know, cash flow from our jobs. And here we are. So we've done it without outside investors. We don't, we don't make a lot, but what we make is good. But and what we make is ours. So we've, um, we make about a barrel a week. That's not very much. You know, our friends in Lynchburg, they make about 2,400 barrels a day, but we've made all of it. And, uh, I'm very proud of that. If somebody hasn't had any of your, uh, products yet, what would you recommend be the first one that they try? Oh, man, it's a loaded question. I'm sure they're all your children, basically. Like, which one do your kids do you like better? They're really different. So if if you don't like scotch, you ought not drink the black and tan because it's a malt whiskey. If you don't like bourbon, you ought not drink our bourbon because it's 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 a four-grain bourbon, uh, big flavor. If you don't like gin, you really should try the gin because we change people's minds on it every day. (laughs) Okay. We've heard that's really spectacular. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so, uh, you know, I had one of those experiences in college where you over, overindulged in bourbon. And so I had to sort of not drink it for a while and sort of really developed a, a fondness of gin and scotch. And so with all of our spirits, you know, we, we tack a little, with our whiskeys anyways, we tack a little bit towards scotch. So our bourbon's a little maltier, a little more toasted flavors in it. Our black and tan is an oatmeal stout whiskey. So it's uh, this reunion of British beer and Scotch whiskey traditions where we make like a Sam Smith style oatmeal stout ale and then distill it, barrel age it. And then our dry gin was uh, created in my wife and I's pursuit of perfect martini gin. <laughs> so uh, it really depends on, on what you like to drink. You know, when it's, you know, 100 degrees in Tennessee, a nice cold gin and tonic tastes pretty good. 
but as we roll into fall, it's hard to beat bourbon on football Saturdays. Well, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us. Um, H. Clark will be one of a few local distilleries that we're going to be featuring at our annual Bootleggers Bash at the end of this month. So thank you for talking to us for coming. No, minutes. we're excited to be there, and I think it's a great event. Anytime people get to go out to Carton Plantation and view, you know, that history, it's 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 just a special place. And for us, you know, we're our distillery sits in the middle of a somewhat smaller battlefield of the Civil War, and so you know we're literally sitting in what was the federal picket lines during the Battle of Thompson Station. They lined up right on the railroad yeah. tracks, and so this is where. Uh, Van Dorn and his cavalry brigade under Bedford Forest slammed into the federal lines. I mean, it was right here. And there were about half a mile uh, on top of a hill were a battery of federal cannons that, you know, Rosecrans had deployed after the Battle of Stones River. And so Bedford Forest was intent on taking them and tearing up stuff. And so he managed to tear up stuff but not take the cannons. They were able to get back to Franklin. But there were about 120 troops killed and about 1,200 taken prisoner um, in March of 1863. And so um, to get to make whiskey in an old barn by the railroad tracks in an old Civil War battlefield and like, you know, where else would you want to make whiskey? Right. You, you ought to. As, as the tractors As the by. tractors drive past. Right? I mean, it's... It adds something to yeah. it, I, I think. Love it. Well, you know, I, uh, I graduated from UT Law School and was lucky enough to go to work at a law firm in Nashville called Bassberry and Sims and you know drove downtown every day for a few years and I would trade this tractors going by you know cows across the road I, I just love I love it yeah. like, th this is what I get to commute to and it's I'm that sure really that feels like home that backup of three tractors stopped and a couple cars right behind them is about as much traffic as you're going to get out here so. that was a that was a traffic jam yeah yeah that was a traffic jam. I'm sure it was. So, uh, yeah. Well, Sarah, do you have any last questions? No, I think we've pretty much heard more than I expected to hear, so it was great. Yeah. We've been to Jack Daniels, but this is just something that different. You're, like, right there where everything's happening. It's right here. It's fun. It's a lot You know, fun. we saw you tasted gin as it was coming out, like, you know, making sure everything's, like, just, it's part of everything. You've got to. And, you know, it's weird. I could tell it, it was warm. So I'm like, ah, the water the flows off or whatever. It's constantly tweaking what's happening to make sure it happens right. Right. It's it's at times uh, hard to keep all the plates spinning. But my wife would tell you, if, if, if I didn't have four spinning at once, I'd go find something to do. Right. right? So, <laughs> I'm sure. If there's not chaos already, I'll go stir it up. Thanks for listening to our interview with Heath Clark. And thanks to Heath for sitting down and talking to us. This episode was a promotion for our Bootleggers Bash, which is coming up soon. On September 28th, we're hosting our annual Bootleggers Bash. This year, our featured distillers are H. Clark, Leaper's Fork, Corsair, 10 South, Pritchard's, and Stillhouse Spirits Company. Bootleggers Bash is always a fun event where we host local distillers, we have music, we have food. Uh, if you want to experience the whole event, Tickets are available for sale until September 20th. If you would just like to come participate in the tasting, you can do that and get your tickets day of. This event is a fundraiser 
to restore the spring house at Cardington, which is a historic structure that would have been a vital part of life in the 19th century, and we're wanting to get it operational once again. So if you would like to purchase tickets for Bootlegger's Bash and promote that, go to boft.org slash events, and you can find more information. Yes, and also, if you're interested in supporting us as our podcast, check out our t-shirts that we are currently selling on our store's website. The easiest way to find those is just to go to boft.org slash podcast. And those t-shirts are pretty neat and pretty affordable as well. So definitely check those out. As always, follow us on Instagram at boft1864 and support your local history by coming out for a tour at Carter House or Carnton. Sarah or myself might be your tour guide. Yes, you never know. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good day.